We're going to talk about what God did through God's people together. Uh, they, they were together through the whole thing. Uh, God assembled them together to, to bring them through the acts of the apostle, okay, to do the work. And Luke recorded all of this. What happened? What transpired? So turned, actually, I'm, I'm going to work in reverse. All I'm giving you today is my introduction. Uh, I, I want to lay the groundwork. I want to tease your brain, okay? I, I, want, I want you to come back hungry for next week saying, all right, what is missing? What, what did they have? And Acts chapter 17 is where we're going to start. I'm going to tell you guys right now, this world has become challenging. It is different. It is changing. And it strongly opposes the things of God. And I hope nobody sits there and goes, yep, that's right. That's why things are so hard. We're about to blow that concept out of the water, okay? Just so you guys know. <clears throat> we cannot hide behind the excuse that times are tough. And because times are tough, we can't serve God or make a difference. That is not true. It's not true. I'm going to write it or say it more like this. It's, it's not... Let, let's just get it. I'm, I'm going to start preaching before I get a chance to preach. <laughs> it's, the, the things of this world don't even, they don't have the power to stop us, but I'll be honest, they should not even have the power to slow us down. Amen. That, that's just telling the truth. But it's so easy to get discouraged and throw the white flag up and, and, and run the other way, and, and, and yet we're called to never retreat, never quit, never back down. I, I want to take you guys on the spiritual journey. I want you guys to see this today and, and show you what was going on in the book of Acts. It was written by Luke. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. God says, let me show you what I assembled them to do. Now, in the, in the spring, we start off with uh, disciple, be one, make one. Do you know what disciple was leading them to do? God called them together to make them to disciples, to send them out in the book of Acts to do what they're doing together. That's what it was. So this is going to be the second part of what we started the spring off. Is as we go into the fall season right now. It's hard to believe that it's fall, but it is. But it was be one, make one. God, God was using them and identifying them with Christ. Changing them from the inside out. Making them different. Commissioning them to do something big for God. And he gives his last instructions in Acts chapter 1. And then he ascends back into heaven and he leaves them. But it doesn't fall apart. It not only doesn't fall apart, it flourishes. It gets stronger. It changes lives. It started a revival. A fire began to spread. I'm talking about a spiritual fire. A, a revolution of change that swept across a nation. Thousands of people being saved. There are leaders being trained like Paul, Silas, Timothy, Barnabas. God opens doors for these men to stand before influential leaders and kings and, and rulers. Churches were started one after another. Those churches started churches that started churches. Religious leaders were getting their hearts right and missionary journeys were starting all over. And let me tell you, all of that happened in the midst of the most crazy opposition ever known to man. Amen. They were literally during this time, you were a radical if you said that I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and then he rose again. Today, everybody would say like, oh, you must be a Christian. Back then, you must be a radical that must be extinguished. To get baptized, 
So to, to, for them to say you must be saved and baptized, to make that bold outward proclamation would literally mean that I am willing to risk my life. Guys, I'm telling you, there was still a fire. There was still a force. There was still a movement happening in the middle of that that was flourishing. So I stop and ask you why. No, more importantly than that, what are we missing? I couldn't say that about us. Can I be honest as much as I'd like to say, and I'm not saying that God's not working. Man, we have people baptized, we have people saved, we have people coming together, we have all those things. But could I say, could you say that we're in the midst of revival? Would you say that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'm talking about where the church has such an influence on the world that the world knows that something's happening. But in, this, in, in the reality, it's more like the church is quiet. We're in the shadows. There's stronger voices standing up telling us to be quiet. You're ruining our agenda. You, 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 you don't, don't get in the way. This is the way the culture has gone. and This is the way the world has gone. And guys, it will. I'm not going to get up here and pretend that things at the end times are not happening all around us and that God's not laying the groundwork for what's to come. I know that. But I just would challenge any of you to show me in the Bible where God says, Ian, by the way, I'm going to pull out my power. He does it. God said, I will be with you to the uttermost. He said, I'll be with you till the end. So let me tell you, if we're not there yet, that means the power of God is still here. Or should be here. And if it's lacking, if it's missing, then we need to know why. So yeah, we're going to take a hard look at some stuff. We're going to look at this together of what God intended for it to be. I'm going to take you to the, almost the end and then work back today. Because I, I want you to see how we go from opposition of Stephen being stoned to the church, let me show you, Acts chapter 17, verse 4. So Paul goes to Thessalonica and he preaches Jesus. And Jesus died and rose again preaching. Okay, so this was like controversial. This was in your face. You know the Jesus that you say is gone, he doesn't exist, and none of that actually happened. He said, let me just put it like this. Jesus is alive, and you can imagine as soon as they say those words, going, oh, he's a radical, we better go do something to shut him down. I mean, that, that's how this was happening. I'll, I'll, I'll show you. And some of them believed, okay, and some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. Man, they, they had the gathering together where they were like, man, dude, this is, we've been waiting on this. And the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few, but the Jews which believed not moved with envy. They were stirred up. They were mad. Sound familiar? You know, when you stand and preach righteousness or truth or whatever, and there's a group of them saying, you know what, we're not going to take that. I tell you, we should put opposition on that church. We should, we should make them shut their mouths so that they're not pushing us in this way. Certain Jews believed not and moved with envy and took unto them certain lewd fellows of the basser sort. That terminology was, they basically went into like the marketplace and they found a lot of people that would say, hey, you guys want to get upset about something? I'll tell you what, I need somebody to start up a ruckus. I need somebody to start rioting. 
And these bums got up and said, yeah, I'll start some, I'll start some problems up. And that, that's literally what these lewd fellows were. They, they got them together and they were like, yeah, we like trouble. And he says, all right, stir up some trouble. I, I need to make some commotion and, and, and stir up uh, controversy with these guys. And they set all the city in an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason. Now, Jason was said to be in somewhat relation to Paul. And he sought to bring them out to the people, and they found them not. Talking about Paul and Silas. And they drew Jason, a certain brethren, to the rulers of the city, crying. And they said these words about Paul and Silas and this movement of Christians, what we call the church today. These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. The ones that have turned the world upside down. And that they had a reputation. They said every city... That these radicals go to, man, everybody's turning from their idols and turning from what we believe as devout Jews. And they're, they're doing all these things and they're stirring up issues for us. And we can't take this. We can't tolerate this. This is not good. And I tell you, them using the compliment of turning the world upside down was not a compliment to them. It wasn't meant to be. It would be to us. How many of you would like it if, uh, if Columbus pulled me and some of the other church leaders and said, we need to talk to you guys. And we walked in there and they were like, what's going on down at Fellowship Baptist Church? I mean, what, what, what do you mean? So all of a sudden bars are shutting down and, and, and that's hurting our economy. And, and this used to be a, hu- a huge area for drugs and heroin. And, and all of a sudden people are giving up their drugs and actually walking out of, the, uh, of these places and, 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 and coming to recovery. And the other day we had some of our politicians that came in and said that they were crooked and they need to get their lives right. What are you people doing down there at that church? Would that upset any of you guys? Can you imagine if that was our reputation and everything and they were turning around, that church is turning Columbus upside down. We'd walk away. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing us to be used in that way. Can I tell you guys that that is a possibility? You say, how? We need to answer that question. Can you imagine experiencing what they had? What was going on? And Jesus is not even with them in the flesh. So let's back up. I'm going to keep backing up and backing up, backing up. I I take you to Acts chapter 4, verse 1, by way of introduction. And then we'll start next week in Acts chapter 1, and we're just going to fly with it. I want you to see how they overcame opposition. Number one, they, they overcame opposition. All, all of a sudden, what we see going on in this was something working, something going on that was greater than even the opposition that they were facing. L- listen, and as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came to them being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Every time you see them upset, they're upset over that message. Still the same today. And they laid hands on them. Literally, they arrested him and put them a hold until the next day, and it was now even tied. What was going on? They were arrested. This is the theme of the book of Acts. Everywhere that they went, they were either arrested, they were stoned, they were thrown out of the city, they, they, they were put in stocks. They were done all these things. And we think that we have it rough. You know why? Well, they came to us and ripped up my track that I gave them. Nobody drug you out of your job and stoned you. Or at least I've not heard any stories like that. We're doing pretty good. And now we're facing problems today. 
I mean, we are. I'm not going to deny that. And things have gotten bad. But that's, I, I think that's what we use that as an excuse. Well, the church isn't growing or churches aren't flourishing today. And people come back and be like, well, we are living in the end times, which we are. People come back and say, well, just sin is just terrible today. Problems are bad. You know, the Satan's on the move, all these other things. It's, it's, you know, this is just not the way it used to be. Thank God it's not the way it used to be. And we've got the idea that they had revivals and Jonathan Edwards and all those other things just because somebody walked into a room and put out a flyer. That's not what happened. We almost raised the white flag before we even get started. Let me ask you guys the question, when did God do something great in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? When did God do something great in the story of Daniel? It was after the lion's den. In the story of Moses, it was after they were stuck between the Red Sea and the angry army. In the story of Paul and Silas, it was when they were thrown into and beat in the deepest part of the prison. Then the earthquake came and people were saved. When was great things happening in the story of Elijah? It was after the prophets were being killed one by one and God stirred him up to go confront the evil king. In the story of Esther, great things happened after they were threatened to have all their people extinguished. I think great things could happen. We just bail before we get there. Somebody throws out the lion's den, and I'm not even talking about the lion's den, and I tell you, I got stirred up and worked up and everything back when our church had to go to court because the city was going to make us take away our tax exemption and make us pay taxes. Today, on a portion of our property, we lost that legal ballot. And as us being a tax-exempt church, we paid taxes on a portion of our property. But I still stand before you with the gospel in my hand, get to preach whatever I want. We've not lost. But I think sometimes we sit there and grumble and complain because opposition came. Opposition will come. It is part of it. It's going to be hard to raise your kids. It's going to be hard to raise teenagers. It's going to be hard to stay consistent in a ministry. It's going to be hard working around work schedule. It is going to be hard. Opposition is going to come. Different dispensation that we live in today. A different time period, if you'll put it that way. But I'm telling you, we serve the same God today. Notice verse 4. I love this first word. It says, how be it? Let me tell you the rest of the story. In light of them arresting them, in light of opposition coming, in light of all the resistance that came their way, many of them which heard the word believed. In spite of every opposition that tried to come to them, God was still faithful in the middle of that. My question is, what did they have that gave them power to push through that? What did they have that rose up against the opposition? And the number of the men was about 5,000. Let me tell you right now, church, this is not normal. This does not naturally happen. Something is happening behind the scenes. Some greater power was happening behind the scenes to make this possible. Acts chapter 5, verse 14, if we keep going in the story, what happens was... They take great strides to stand up in front of the government and and still preach the gospel. And the believers, it says in Acts chapter 5 verse 14, and the believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. 
Multitudes were added to the Lord. And I thought that was pretty cool until I came to Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And the Bible says, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied. We go from adding to multiplying. Do you, does anybody know math enough to know that that's a big deal? Yeah. <laughs> it was all of a sudden the people that were saved and reaching people were, sa- were reaching people that were reaching people that were reaching people. And all of a sudden it was spreading like wildfire. You want to know how they turned the world upside down? Because something was happening behind the scenes. It's turning the world upside down. And it says in there, in the word of God increasing, great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. The fire was spreading. People whose lives were being changed. Verse 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Stephen, a deacon in the church, stands up and preaches the gospel. Acts chapter 7 now, verse 54. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, gnashed on them with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost... I'm giving it away before I even get there. But he being full of the Holy Ghost looked steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing in the right hand of God. And cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their clothes at the young man's feet whose name was Saul. And, and they stoned Stephen calling upon God saying, the Lord Jesus received my spirits. And he turned around and said, well, there they go. Man, the opposition came. They really shut down the church. Here's their preacher. Their preacher was crucified. Now, I don't want you guys praying for revival because Pastor Tony's going to get stoned or shot, okay? Please don't pray. There's other ways to bring revival, okay? But in Acts chapter 8, verse 2, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc on the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Now listen to verse 4. Therefore they that scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Have you guys ever tried to put out a fire that, you know, you have a campfire and you're getting ready to leave the campfire. You know that you can't leave those coals there. So you sit there and try to knock them out. And so you knock them around. And what actually happened is that opposition of trying to bust them up actually stirs the coals up. They get hotter. It actually turned on fire again. That's actually what's happening in this passage. They were trying to shut down the word of God, but some sort of fire or or power was working inside of them that they could not stop what God was doing. They could not quench the flame. They could not quench the working of the Holy Spirit of God inside of them. Something was going on that held great power throughout the entire book of Acts. Yes, they, they overcame opposition, Number two, let me show you. Together they experienced radical change. I take you back to the Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And, and they gladly received his word. This is the day of Pentecost, and they're preaching the word of God. We're getting back to chapter 1. I want to take you to the beginning. And they gladly received his word, and they were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. There was no gimmicks involved. There was no stained glass windows. There was none of these things that we put emphasis on. All it was was the word of God being preached to a group of people. And the Bible says in verse 43, and fear came upon every soul. That word fear in that passage means an awe came upon them. Literally something shook them and all of a sudden they were standing there just in shock of what in the world is going on. It wasn't Peter preaching. 
but something as the word of God was going out from them, that something went across every single one of them. And don't let that scare you. Guys, sometimes we get so caught up in thinking that there's other religions and other denominations that do other things that scare us that we run the other way. Hey, listen, we should never be afraid of the working of the Holy Spirit of God. It is real, it's in the Bible, it should be in us, and it should be in the church. When the preaching of the Word of God was going on, it was more than words. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what was happening? Jesus was in the house. He was the Word. And the Bible says as the Word went out, as the Word of God went across, all of a sudden something happened. Every single one of them stopped. And we're in awe. They were awestruck. Their minds was working like, I, I, I need Jesus and I believe it. And it's, it's not just that pastor and it's not a fancy video and it's, it's not a gimmick and it's not a flyer. It's not a logo. It's not a church. It's not a pew. It's the Holy Spirit of God working inside of them. Yeah. Something was happening inside that service that can't be bought. You'll never find it at Lifeway. It can't be passed on. It's not tradition. It's not in material possessions. Life change. Tears. Shaking of their hearts and souls. God allowed them to see their need. 5,000 people at that moment stood up and said, What must I do to be saved? What is missing in my life? How can I have what you have? What is happening inside of me right now? Don't let that scare you guys. When people get under conviction, it is the working of the Spirit of God. I tell you, we can have great music and it can give us goosebumps. But goosebumps don't save people's souls. Only Jesus Christ saves people's souls. It is the working of the Spirit of God. If there is no working of the Spirit of God, there will be no conviction. Without conviction, there is no transformation. I don't care how many times I can get people to bow their head and close their eyes and repeat a prayer. That doesn't mean we had a bunch of people saved. It means a lot of people raised their hand and repeated words. I'm not belittling when it actually happens. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God cannot work that way at all. But I am saying that we can get a lot of hype going in service and we can get a lot of music hyped up. And I'm not saying that we do here. And we can get a lot of people emotional to sit there and say, pray a prayer right now. And all of a sudden, nothing happened but man working. Man, I, I think God works through music. I think God works through technology. I believe these are all tools, but they don't replace this. Amen. They can never replace the conviction that God brings. They can never replace God actually getting a hold of people's lives and shaking them from the inside out. I don't know how many of you remember when you got saved, but it was way more than a fuzzy feeling. I got under conviction, and as a 16-year-old boy, I was trapped in the middle of a pew, and I was crying like a baby. And I'm not saying that it takes tears to get saved, but I'm telling you, I was not the type of teenage boy to cry in a service like that. Ten minutes before that, I saw a girl behind me that I was planning on talking after the service. My mind was not on there, but something greater than me wanting to meet a girl stepped into the situation and got my attention. 
Telling you, God, through the Spirit of God, can still bring revival, can still change our hearts, can still reach our youth. I don't care how much heroin moves in. I don't care how many times they push things in the public school or tell us that there's no God or that evolution is the truth. Our God is more powerful and the conviction of God can change lives. It is still true today. But I ask you the question, what is missing I come to verse 44, and all that believed were together, and they had all things in common. Whatever this is that is happening behind the scenes, not only gave them the power to do, and the power to change, and the power to convict, it brought them together in a power of unity that was indescribable. But how? It says in verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily as such has been saved. But we find a promise. Before the first person was saved, before the first church was started, before the first opposition came their way, before the first stone was thrown, before the first shackles were laid on them, before the first prison cells were shut before the first apostle was drug out of the city, something happened. We find in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that God, Jesus Christ in the flesh, gave them a promise on his way out. And he said to them, ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and other most parts of the earth. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you next week. That is the most quoted and misunderstood verse probably in all the Bible. That verse of what God promised them on that day was going to change everything that they did. That word, but you shall receive power, literally was power, dunamis power, literally raised them from the dead power, changed the world power, bring revival power. Amen. And he said, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Jesus didn't just promise to go with them. He promised to be in them. Amen. And I know we know this. I have a button in my car. Uh, I drive a Nissan Rogue, and it came with a button down here. It's, 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 I, I, I got one that was fuel efficient. That's, that's my thing. I, I wanted something good on gas. Get me down the road. I, I'd pull out in front of traffic and you have to time it right because it doesn't have that, you know, take off and then whatever. But that's what you get when you get good fuel economy, right? And there's a button. There's a button down there that says sport. I've never pushed it. I mean, I, I, I'm not the one that's going to push all the buttons and did all that. So I was down on the road. I can't remember what the name of the road is that cuts from Winchester Pike over to 33. And then you have to turn right and pray to God that those semis don't catch up with you as you pull out on 33. And I'm down there the other day in the same car that I drive in all the time. I popped that button right before I got out there. And all of a sudden, I went, whoa, and I was like, whoa, and I was like, all this time, I have had that button right there. I've never pushed that button. 
I've never pushed the button. All that power. And I'm just cruising through life, risking my life every time I pull out in front of a car. Now I do it. I don't care if it's just a stop sign. I'm like, bam, baby. You know, like, woo. The disciples experienced something that they didn't know that they had. See, God promised to empower them. Power that could shake a nation. Power that could bring revival to the darkest places. Power that could break the addiction of drugs and heroin and marijuana. and Power that could break the bonds of broken relationships. They were spiritually empowered. I don't want to cause confusion today. But I do want to pique your curiosity. But let me ask you this question. Is it possible today that we have the Spirit of God, but we have not yet tapped into the power of God? If you are saved, you have the seal of the Spirit of God living inside of you. When I asked the Lord to come into my life, He didn't come alongside of me and says, well, I'll hang out with you. No, He came and lived inside of me. That conviction, the day that I was a 16-year-old boy and He shook my heart and told me that I needed Him, and I plowed through a line of teenagers and I came down to an altar and a guy put his arm around me and I'm weeping like a baby and he said, what's wrong? And I told him, I said, I don't know if I'm saved. I've grown up in church. I've been in Christian school my whole life. I've got a wall full of trophies from Awana and Vacation Bible School and everything else. I can quote the books of the Bible literally forward and backwards. I knew chapters of verses. I've been to revivals my entire life. Something broke through the tradition. Something broke through my pride. Something broke through the heart of a 16-year-old boy. It was the Spirit of God that showed up on me that day. And when I asked God to come into my life, he didn't just save me. He came into me. He took over me. And he's with me today. I might not look like much, but I tell you, inside of me dwells that dunamis, explosive power. I think I drive through life not knowing how to push the button. I never, ever, ever want to belittle this working of the Spirit of God of being a button, okay? Please, please don't draw the wrong conclusion. I never want to have disrespect in that way at all. But I would tell you that there's something missing when we can read the church going through opposition together and facing the world together and preaching and people being under conviction and souls being changed and lives being saved and children getting their hearts right and religious leaders falling to their knees And then I have an opportunity after opportunity to sit there and stand before kings and rulers and being able to proclaim the gospel and speak the truth. And today we sit there and we have to sing song after song to get somebody down the aisle. And we reach our kids and they tune us out. We try to go in the world and they blow us off. And we think it's, oh man, it's just the end times. Maybe it's us. Maybe something's missing that I'm not figuring out. Because the disciples walked away that day saying, We're going to receive power? The holy what? I mean, we we, we read that stuff now and we get it. That was all new to them. 
until something happened. We don't read of cathedrals, church buildings, carnivals, or traditions. We find people on fire for God. Go forward just a little more, Acts chapter 1, verse 13. And when they were come in, as after Jesus ascended up in heaven, and now Jesus is gone, they went up into an upper room. And there abode Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and Philip, and Thomas, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealots, and Judas the brother of James. And these all continued in one accord, and in prayer, and supplication with women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And it all starts here. In this room, with this group of God's people coming together. In one accord, unified, connected. Kneeling down on their knees. What is, what is that promise? What is the promise? You said we could have it. You said that you would change the world with us. You said that you would use me, but I'm scared to death to go out there. God, they're killing Christians that open their mouths. God, they're, they're dragging people out and stoning them to death. I can't face that alone. And God showed up in that instance and says, you're never, ever alone. And something happened in that group as they gathered together in that room that day that literally led to them turning the world upside down. Amen. 